RA Exchange. Welcome to Resonant Advisors Exchange. I'm Chloe Lula, the Exchange's senior producer. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Hayden Payne, better known as Faze Fatal, an artist I've known for a few years who's made a name for himself as a resident of Bergheim. He's become known for darker edge sets and productions that fuse industrial, EBM, and techno, though in recent years, he's also explored a lighter side of his sound as one half of the duo Soft Crash with the Italo disco artist Pablo Bozzi. Hayden grew up in the U.S., where he was fully immersed in the world of music. His dad is a recording engineer and musician, as are many members of his family. After joining post-punk outfits like Dream Affair and consuming a diet of new wave and synth from parties like Weird in New York, Hayden eventually relocated to Berlin, where he saw possibilities emerge around ways of fusing guitar music with sounds for the dance floor. It was only shortly after relocating that he landed a residency at Bergheim and began releasing his own productions as a techno artist. He's put out three full lengths and a number of EPs on labels like the now defunct Oscar Tan, his own label Bite, and Jealous God, which was run by the lay artist Silent Servant, who tragically passed away last week. We recorded this episode just a week into the new year before Juan's death. And also, uh, like, what Silent Servant did on his first album. That already came out when I was in New York, and that was, like, the f- my first step into this more techno dance floor stuff. And then I kind of reconnected with Juan, Silent Servant. Like, he played a Trezor, and we knew each other from the weird parties in New York and stuff. Then he did a remix for me on Aufnahme und Wiedergabe. Then we planned to do stuff on Jealous God. And I think from there, that caught Berkheim's attention for the booking. And I played there the first time in 2015. The two have collaborated at length across music production and visual art for the course of Hayden's career. We talk about all of this and more, like requeering the goth scene, finding new inspiration in Eurotrance, and revitalized synth pop, and preparing for marathon length closing sets at the Big House. Hayden has sustained strong ties to cities like Tbilisi, where he's a resident at Kitty, and Kiev, where he's paid multiple visits to K41. He reflects on the refreshing energy in these spaces that are more socially and politically motivated, especially for queer artists living in the margins. Hayden has two new EPs coming out on his label, Bite, a techno four-tracker called Love is Destructive, and an infectious Italo body music collection with Soft Crash, featuring multimedia artists from Ukraine. It will be out next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Without further ado, here is Faze Fatal. Welcome, Faze Fatal. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you? How's your winter been? It's been okay. Has ups and downs. Yeah. And just trying not to like slip and, you know, bust my ass yeah. walking here. <laughs> Were you here over the holidays? Yeah, I was here actually. It was like one of the first times just here for Christmas and okay. actually I have friends here and it feels a bit more at home in Berlin. Nice. Yeah. This, yeah. You played for New Year's at uh, Berghain, right? Yeah, this, yeah, it was just Berghain at New Year's and it was really nice just playing in like the afternoon and oh, on the nice. first. So cool. Yeah. How long have you been in Berlin now? It's actually like almost my 10 year anniversary. Oh my here. God. Yeah. It's coming fast. Yeah. So you're originally from New Jersey. Well, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, yeah. Via New Jersey? I was born in Philadelphia and I moved around a lot as a kid. And then I was living like in New Jersey, out, just outside of Philadelphia. And then I was living in New York and studying there. And then I came here. 
10 years ago. So from what I understand, you lived in quite a musical household and your dad is still a musician and a sound engineer, right? Yes. Yeah. Can you paint a picture of what it was like growing up in that environment? Yeah, so so everybody in my family, like on both sides, they were either like doing something in music or just like really, really like big music lovers. So my dad, I guess, was like the main focal point is, um, so yeah, he was the sound engineer and playing in bands and stuff, you know, like in the 80s and stuff. And so that influenced me a lot. Then also my aunt was like in a New York punk band in the 70s. And my other aunt was like a music photographer. And then my mom was just also really into music and my uncle and stuff. So they kind of, and they were all more into this, this kind of 80s wavy stuff mostly. So I don't know, my uncle turned me on to the Pesh Mode. My mom turned me on to The Cure. My dad turned me on to Ancestors of Mercy and Killing Joke. And so there was just like a lot of influence coming from my family. And which it could go either way, because usually kids sometimes, you know, say like, oh, screw you, mom and dad, dad I don't want to listen <laughs> I'll, to you. I'm going to be a banker. <laughs> yeah. So their influence works, and they really encouraged me to pick up music from like a young age. So I already started playing guitar and stuff when I was like 10 years old and was like playing in bands as a teenager and stuff. So yeah, then I went to music university and everything. That sounds like a dream. <laughs> So was guitar like your main instrument growing up? Yeah, guitar and bass was my main instrument growing up. Okay. Do you consult your your dad or anyone in your family for feedback for your music? Or have they, have they been like a, yeah. A- yeah, I mean, especially with, because my dad was doing like sound engineering, whether it was for like live acts or also stuff in the studio. So a lot of times like he will still like check, check my mixes and stuff just oh. to make sure it's balanced. And, you know, now he always says it's good. So I think I, I figured it out now. That's really cool. Okay. So your musical diet for a long time was more like guitar music. You played in a band called Dream Affair for a while. So were you playing... Didn't you also do vocals in that? Band? Yeah, in Dream Affair, I was playing guitar and singing, but we also, it was, uh, we had a drum machine and I was programming that. And we also had synths and uh, my friend, Abby Echeverry, she was playing synths in this band. And now she's also making uh, electronic Yeah, music. I was going to say, I know her yeah. from the scene a bit. Yeah. yeah. So there was like electronic elements there. And also before that, or in like also around the same time, this time I was like 15 or 16. I was also playing in Void Vision. Oh, yeah. Um, and then that was really just a synth, synth-based band. So when I joined, I was really just playing guitar. But then uh, Sherry and I moved to really just synths, and she's already like a synth wizard and stuff. And I think the switch from from getting more into electronic music happened a lot because we were really into this weird records label that was based in New York around this time. And I think like the first time I saw Marshall Cantorell in New York at this home sweet home dive bar, and then I was really like, wow, it was really cool because it was like a one-man band and he was doing everything live, with all these different like vintage analog synthesizers all connected via CV. And it's kind of like, this is like before the modular craze and stuff like this. And um, it was really interesting to see and like hear like really powerful music made with electronics, like all live, you know, no laptop or anything. That really got me. I met him and he was already like took me down and was like showing me like well, how everything was working and stuff. And then from there, I got really into getting more into the electronic side of this kind mm. of music. Cool. There, there's a cool scene for that in New York. And I, I do miss that yeah. part of it. Yeah. At what point did you end up coming to Berlin? So I moved to Berlin. Yeah. 
10 years ago. Before that, Abby and I actually did a study exchange because we both went to the same college and we were, so we were here for one semester. We where did, where did you go? Uh, New York University. Okay. Cause I also yeah. did the NYU study abroad program oh, okay. in Berlin. <laughs> 10 years okay. Ago. Yeah. So yeah, that was like in 2011 or something like that. Already then we were playing in Dream Affair and touring then too, while we were studying here and kind of connected with uh, some like playing at the old death disco and stuff like this and you know going we went to Berghain and everything and already then I was like well I really love it here and um, quality of life and being able to like you know work with your music and not like in New York you know like working like crazy just to pay the rent and then you actually don't have time to like develop your creative side yeah unless you're very lucky so already then I kind of kept that like I think this is where I want to be and I saw that you know with our small band we could already tour and like things were like you could make things like slightly work even if you're not huge you know Mm -hmm. so I thought about thought about that and then in 2013 I was touring with another band Auto Melody and we did like Mm -hmm. a full European tour and I spent some time in Berlin then I was like really sure, like, yeah, I for sure want to move here for music. And it was mostly for playing for bands. It wasn't, I didn't say I want to move here and be a techno DJ mm. or something like that. So I think basically I got back to the States and I just kind of like planned my move and packed my stuff and came like a few months later. Mm. You ended up scoring a residency at Bergheim like pretty quickly after moving, it seems. Yeah, it was like a natural progression. Like I think... Going to the club in the first place, especially like this first year I moved, like really, really shaped how I approached my production and what sound and DJing and stuff, like going to Verkhain and saying like, oh, you know, one day I, I would like to play here, you know, like making it a goal, not like so determined, but like that would be really nice and really influence like this Phase Fatale project that uh, before I made a couple songs that were like really like kind of more grungy, wavy then it, it shaped more into becoming this really techno project. Like the first release was came out on Avant like 10 years ago. And that really set like a precedent for them for everything I did. Um, just by going there and hearing sets by function or something like this and really influencing me. And also uh, like what Silent Servant did on his first album. That already came out when I was in New York. And that was like the, my first step into this more techno dance floor stuff. And then I think from... The first release, and then I kind of reconnected with Juan, Silent Servant. Like, he played a Trezor, and we knew each other from the weird parties in New York and stuff. Then he did a remix for me on Alfnama and Vidigava. Then we planned to do stuff on Jealous God. And I think from there, that caught Berghain's attention for the booking. And I played there the first time in 2015, just like opening set. And already people really liked it, and they kind of knew me from being a regular clubber there. And then we kind of developed that. I started playing it there a little bit more often. And then I released on Untertone in 2017. And then the next year, like an EP on uh, Oscutone, like the main label. And then from there, it was like the residency kind of like officially began joining the agency and everything. So it was like a natural progression over like a few years that it just like came into being like that. Yeah, it seems really organic. Do you remember what it was like playing there for the first time? I was so nervous. Like, <laughs> like really, really nervous for like, I guess, you know, it was booked like months before and I was like thinking about it every day yeah. and so nervous. And it took a while actually for this like kind of, like I usually don't get so nervous before shows because I've been playing shows since I was really like a kid. So this I don't really get stage fright. But with this, it's like, you know, still like this anxiety kicks in sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you've played like every time slot there. Do you have a 
favorite because you've done quite a few closings. Yeah, well. I think so. This year I did three closings, like even like two in a row. And <laughs> I, I think this is for sure my my favorite slot because yeah. it really gives you that opportunity to play all different stuff and really mix all these different genres than playing like a, a peak time set where it's like really more focused on like techno bangers. Mm -hmm. And with the closing set, like already when it begins, you're kind of want to take people on a journey and kind of like bring things down or really tell a story. So already from the beginning, you're like not focused on like bangers because people have been in the club for like 24 hours. Like they mm -hmm. don't need to hear more bangers. Yeah. So I think it's just a really nice opportunity to do all this different stuff. And I have so much different music I want to show people. So it's really, I think that's my favorite slot. How do you prepare for a set that long? Because I've actually never played for like nine hours before. Like I always organize it like in chapters or like in different styles. So I, I, I like I usually know like, okay, I'm going to plan like the beginning, at least like maybe the first 30 minutes. So I have some training wheels on so you don't have to like stress immediately about mm -hmm. what's what's happening. And then from there, I have like, you know, like different genres, like more old school tracks. And then like also like really melancholic, like melodic tracks to put more emotion in the set and stuff. And wavy tracks more for the end and also like you know like i don't know spacier tracks and every so trippy stuff that's like you know so at the end when it's morning and people are <laughs> getting weird you know you make everything very strange so yeah just having like everything separated like that and then from there just kind of deciding like okay it's like we have like four more hours to go maybe it's time to like go this direction and then of course like reading the room yeah and stuff yeah since you do come from more of like a post-punk infused musical background do you feel any pressure to conform a bit to like the Bergheim style uh no I don't feel any pressure to conform to it but I I find it like a good challenge actually like for myself and like as a creative way to to get into it because if you're just doing like post-punk sound or stuff you can just really go wild with it and do you know also do really cool creative stuff with it but I, I find it interesting for myself to be like okay I really love this Berghain techno sound, and it's like something that's really a part of me. So how do I fit these two things that seemingly maybe don't fit together so easily? Which is actually not really the case because, you know, like, like you know, all the original residents like Detman and Norman Nodge and stuff, they were always mixing this stuff together all the time since the beginning. So, I mean, that's part of what made me interested in it, in it as well was going there and hearing them play all this stuff mixed together. And then I kind of understood like, oh, it's okay to mix it all together. It's not so separate as people make it out to be. Yeah. It's a good challenge in the productions and the DJ sets to be like, okay, how can I make this fit together? And so that it doesn't sound like, you know, like like a mess, but it sounds like really cool and clean and sleek, like, like you know, it was meant to be. Yeah. Well, I think you and Juan have really been like the flag bearers for that sound, yeah. which is cool. <laughs> you have been leaning a lot more techno recently. I mean, what's inspired the shift? Because I, I was doing so much more of the post-punk or industrial influence techno for so many years that I really wanted to try something different. And of course, everything was always like very techno influenced from the beginning, but um, I never really explored the side like specifically. I think there's a lot more to still be explored with that. And I like that in techno, it's like very open in general, actually, like you can and do whatever you want and it just kind of revolves around like a few few rules like you know usually a 4-4 kick drum and there's like arrangement and stuff and and the functionality but it's the same that it's like it's like a challenge to fit the sensibility into like this kind of framework so rather than see it as a limitation just see it as something that you'd like something to push more yeah. 
Also, as playing more and more, and you see the developments in the club scene and stuff, not to be reactionary, but just to be like, okay, I want to try something new. So let's see what's going on now. Yeah. I feel there's a resurgence of like kind of more old school and like pure techno coming back, which is something I always really liked and was always including the sets. So it's cool to to try and like fit everything together and put my flair on it. Yeah. No, I'm excited that that's coming back because I felt a little pessimistic a couple of years ago when it was like the reign of hard techno, which obviously is still a thing, but it does seem like there are a lot of really cool, just like more classic techno artists. Yeah. yeah what I noticed was that this this is coming back now and it would be interesting to see because it's the same with the more post-punk EBM stuff. Like, I mean, I love all of it, but some of it is going to the more retro side. Like it sounds like really like straight from the 80s. Yeah. And it's the same with some of this uh, newer pure techno stuff that sometimes it sounds like it's really coming just from the 90s, 2000s. And it's cool to see that what happens when you put a more contemporary edge to it, then it really becomes like its own own thing. Because already a lot of this music from then is already like quite progressive for its time and it's like very timeless. Yeah. I mean, as it's developing to put more contemporary influences in it so that it becomes like its own new new thing. So and I think that's exciting when there's like a new wave of, of something. Yeah, definitely. Well, so I want to talk about Byte because I know that that's been a really big focus of the label is kind of putting a more contemporary edge on a genre or like a canon that feels to me to be a bit stagnant or retro. What's your approach been in like how you've curated the label yeah. to keep it really like fresh and up to date? Yeah, so so I started the label now six years ago with my ex-partner Florian. When we started it, the goal was always to kind of find artists that are kind of from like our Berlin underground scene that are doing something that's like interesting or special to their sound, whether it's post-punk or EBM or techno or electro, but just like the unifying thing is that they're doing something unique or special or something that's like pushing the boundaries of whatever the respective genre they're in. And there's like some, also some meaning behind it as well. It's not just like a tool track or something, but that there's some concept and behind it. And we, uh, especially flooring was keeping with, with the visual aesthetic of it. And whereas a lot of this more like EBM industrial stuff is like very black and white and very dark. And we were like, no, let's make it like colorful and more like contemporary art pop to add like a different interpretation of the music yeah, and just make it a bit more fresh. And of course, like six years through the label, of course, the trends change and stuff like that. And of course, it's great to stick to your guns, but at the same time, it's a record label and we have to move copies of, of vinyl and stuff. The The music changes over the years, which is welcome anyway, because I wouldn't want to do the same thing over and over again. So last year was the five-year anniversary of the label. We did so many releases. It was actually quite stressful, <laughs> but we made it in the end. I think like with the compilation last year, it kind of like really summed up everything because you had like really techno tracks and then you had other songs that were just like complete wavy post-punk songs. So it was like really one end of the spectrum to the other. And I think already in the label kind of coexists like different movements or categories because like there's everything with Pablo, like we put out with, we put out his first EP in 2020 and that was like was that this, his first EP? That was his first solo EP as Oh Pablo my god Man, He's really uh, come a long way Yeah since. Yeah Because <laughs> yeah, before he was also Imperial Black Unit and then he That's wanted right. to 
to do the solo sound with this Moritalo thing. And I'm sure if you should use a solo name. And wow. we're like, dude, it's like your name, like you're born to do this <laughs> with this name. And it's true, yeah. Yeah, then everything really, really worked out well. I mean, of course, it was during the pandemic, but as soon as everything was open, it like really took off for him. So this was kind of like this beginning of this Italo body yeah, yeah. sound. And then we started the Soft Crush project at the same time. Yeah, and then there's like the more techno side to it with like new frames or Guile or me. And then there's like this wavier side with like Unhuman and stuff like this. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about the visual concept behind the label? Yeah, I mean, the visual concept behind the label was more started by Florian because he was the visual aspect mostly. And yeah, that was, like I said before, was to add this kind of more contemporary touch to what was seemingly more dusty kind of aesthetic. For me, it's really important because sometimes in techno, there's not so visual focused. You know, it's just like inner label with some text and stuff. But for me, what I always liked about music in general was the stronger visual aesthetic of like labels like, I don't know, Factory or Warp or, or 4AD, where they have like a very, very strong visual representation of the music. And I think that adds like a whole another element or Sandwell District or totally. something. And I think it just tells more of the story. Or like uh, Sonic Youth, they have like different artists like collaborating with them on their videos and with the album art and stuff. And I think that's, it just adds this other dimension that's, that I think is important for the music. Yeah. Well, I've seen Byte evolve a lot in the last couple of yeah. years, especially with the VA. I mean, it's really like, it's like Technicolor, yeah. full. Yeah, like Juan made that with like, uh, he found like a 3D printer, like, somewhere like outside of LA in California. He was like 3D printing stuff out of his garage. And he actually, it's like a small 3D printed of the logo with like all this other like kind of plastic metal stuff around it. Mm -hmm. And he, it's like, it's a photograph, even though it looks like kind of 3D that it was made like with the, on the computer. But so he's also really um, helping now with the, doing a lot of him and uh, his wife, Simone, are really helping with the artwork. Yeah, of course that's like evolving too. Cause like at one point it was like quite loud, the artwork and, now we're kind of going back to some kind of more minimalism. Okay. But I think it's always important to have the artwork coincide with the music. Yeah. I've been into how you've explored some like funner territory. I mean, you've been dyeing your hair also, I've noticed. Like, I mean, today it's more subdued, but you did some blue yeah. recently. Yeah, yeah, there was some blue last year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you told Playful Mag in an interview once that music that is very poppy does not appeal to me because of its fake happiness. So <laughs> how do you weigh that against the Soft Crash project, which I find to be quite joyful music? I think I would say like the Soft Crash project still has this melancholic edge to it. Like even if it's joyful and happy, it's like almost more in like a euphoric way. Like some weight has been lifted or like you got through something and then you're happy, you know, but it's not this um, naive happiness of like a 2020 pop song, I would say. And I think that's the, that would be the difference is that it's like joy, but it's through some things it's like it's emotional you know like true true emotion rather than manufactured yeah, yeah. um and of course in the dj sets it gets like a little cheesy sometimes but i think it's nice to have this side of my personality like expressed as well you know i'm not just dark and serious all the time yeah. so you also have an ep coming out with soft crash on yes. site called energy and it's the first ep i think to have vocals on like almost every song, yeah right? it's almost kind of like a Euro dance inspired <laughs> release, not in a bad way, yeah. but uh, it, you definitely took things in like a new direction. 
Yeah, can you tell me about it? Yeah, actually, yeah. I didn't even realize that every song had vocals <laughs> okay. on it until you just pointed it out. Oh, okay. Yeah. But um, with the album, it was like quite weird and heady and everything was like almost broken beat and stuff, which is really good for the album context. But with the EP, we wanted to really make tracks that we can play out. Also, the the style that we've been playing and producing has also changed since the beginning. So even though it's called like a title body music, actually we're getting like further and further away from it being related to Italo actually mm. and have been bringing in like different influences from like 80s and 90s pop and wave stuff as well as like I don't know we just we've take a lot of trance songs and just pitched them down the 130 uh, cool. and also getting into this kind of like a uh, housey progressive house like trippy stuff as well which is like stuff that you really have to sift through because there's like trash and then jam <laughs> and then trash and jam and it's like it's it's really cool to like completely just dive into another world that that I'm not familiar with at all. And I find it really interesting because if it's still, if it's techno or wavy or something, like I kind of know almost, you know, like what's going on or if I heard of it or something. And so it's a really new territory. It's really nice also from a production standpoint because we're in the studio and we're like, okay, we actually don't know how to do this and we have to study and analyze it and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really fresh for us and it's like also very effective dance floor wise. Yeah. With the vocals, just like I said, it was just like unintentional that, that <laughs> happened like that. But yeah, I guess the energy song has like little samples, but it's still there. But I think for Self Crash, it really works because it's adding that human element mm -hmm. to it that makes it like a little bit less mechanical and it makes it more romantic and emotional to yeah. have this like human voice that people would connect with. Yeah. I imagine it's also just fun to collaborate with somebody when you're so used to having a career, like making music and touring as a solo DJ. Like it, it's fun to do music with yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really it's really nice to collaborate. It gets really lonely in the studio and on the road when you're just by yourself and with yourself and your thoughts the whole time. Yeah, and uh, working with Pablo is like very easy. We have a good synergy, and when we're in the studio, we like barely speak to each other. We're just like doing this stuff, and it's just like fitting together, and we have the same ideas, and it just meshes together. It's the same when we're DJing. We don't have to like say like, oh, make it like this and make it like this. Now it's very yeah. natural and smooth, and we complement each other. Nice. So um, it's working, and yeah. It's the same when I collaborated with Terrence Fixmer or with New Frames. It's like you also like learn a lot by working with somebody else because they oh, have different yeah. techniques and stuff. And it's a good like uh, exchange of ideas. Yeah. I wanted to talk about um, the video for one of the songs on the EP. So it's called Free Yourself. And in the press release for the EP, you describe it as being an expression of queer identity. And it shows a femme android metamorphosing from a pool of liquid into a solid humanoid figure in this process of self-actualization. You've also championed some different like queer leaning projects on Byte, also with like Monos' release. It's like almost drag-y, yeah. which I see as being less common in the world of like industrial and yeah. EBM, at least in the contemporary landscape. Have you felt a greater desire to take it upon yourself to explore these themes in your work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I find it important as like as a queer artist myself to also like explore these themes and stuff, especially like now I think it's more important to show people you know who you are to also like give them the power influence and stuff that everybody can do it and stuff. So I think it's, this is important. And with the video, uh yeah, it's made by also queer artists the videos made by and um the video is actually kind of like a play on the Ghost in the Shell intro scene. Okay. Where like the cyborgs kind of like when she's being built and everything. And I um, and I guess in a more in a deeper level, it's kind of can mean that 
because it's like a cyborg or android body. It's not really like your physical self. And, you know, it's more about like the mm. ghost in the shell, your mind. Mm. And that's really who you are. So I think through the video, it kind of, there's like this kind of birth in the Garden of Eden. And then you kind of like with the knowledge of who you are and stuff, so kind of transcending the body. It's called Free Yourself, you know, so it's like kind of, it's connecting all these dots there. And then, yeah, something with uh, Unhuman and Petra Fleur's project. I think this is really, that was really Manos's and Petra's idea was to, I mean, Petra Fleur is like a queer punk Berlin scene, like legend, you know, forever. And it was cool to bring this back kind of out of this Berlin underground and kind of mix it with the Berlin techno scene a bit. Totally. And yeah, also show that like all this dark stuff is not so dark. It's a bit campy and like their gender bending uh, with all the makeup and the performance is extremely important, like how they are and what the music is conveying. And so I think it's really cool to do something like that. Yeah, that's not so common, commonly seen now. Yeah, I think that a lot of people have a really one-dimensional view of like the industrial EBM scene that yeah. isn't totally accurate. So it's important. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that this original industrial post-punk scene and when it came about in the 80s was like very, very queer. Like totally. all these bands like Throbbing Gristle, Coil, Daff, Leather Strip, all these people, like they're all queer. And yeah. I think a lot of people when they see it, they just see kind of like these angry people in like military gear. <laughs> but that's just like a, a play on this like homoeroticism of like this machismo, like military thing. And like, they're not actually like that. And the music is like so deeply layered in the concepts and meanings and stuff that go beyond just being gay or whatever. But see that as more real artistry that they're, they're creating something that's like multi-layered and not just something that you glean at the surface. Mm. And so, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's not so one-dimensional. Yeah, it's very well articulated. Your last full-length album, you also explored some themes around queer identity, but it was a little bit darker. Um, and you pointed to a lot of the challenges that many parts of the world still face with LGBTQ rights and the dangers of living in an ideologically closed society. And you face some discrimination in Georgia, which is where you wrote this LP. So can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So like during the pandemic, I was living in Tbilisi, which is somewhere that I've been going to for since 2016, I believe. And it's like really became like second home. And during the pandemic, I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to move here for a while. I don't want to be in Germany. Then, of course, when you're living there, you witness and experience some homophobia, like in different you know degrees of levels and stuff, which, of course, you experience other places too. It's not just singular to, to there. But of course, when you're really there and it's during pandemic, so it was very closed because before there were so many people like tourists coming in and out. The club scene was booming and it was really starting to open people's minds and, you know, take away some stereotypes and stuff like that by just seeing other people having like this constant flow of exchange of ideas and people coming and going. And then that kind of stopped during the pandemic and um, it got a bit tighter. Then it was also like the Russian leading government, like putting some influence in there and stuff. So, and then, yeah, I saw, I saw some tragic things and heard about tragic stories and it was really sad. And so that kind of album, I, I call it like the um, techno small town boy concept yeah. or something that it's like coming from a smaller society or something and kind of like breaking through that. Yeah. I had some similar experiences in Tbilisi. I, during the pandemic, I went and reported on the trans community there and how difficult it is, especially for trans women. Yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah. Do you feel that 
that climate has changed because I feel that while predominant attitudes have become more inclusive in part because of club culture and clubs like Kitty and like artists like you, um, I also feel like we're living in a more politically polarizing time than ever before. I think online is very politically polarizing, but I think when you're in the clubs and especially in places like, I don't know, like Kiev or Tbilisi, like these clubs are very important as like a community space and a safe space for people. It's not just entertainment, maybe like in Central Western Europe. And it's really important for these people to go that maybe they can't express themselves on the street or something like this. You know, whereas in Berlin, you could just like look like whatever. And even, yeah. even then it's a little. So these places are really important and there it's not so polarizing, you know, because people are coming together and say, hey, we're in this together and can set aside the differences. And it's important then that these communities are coming together and growing, that it becomes like a strong marker then for like bigger societal change. As somebody has been coming and going from Tbilisi for many years and been there a lot, I could really see the evolution and you could really tie it to the to what the clubs are doing there. Yeah. And it's really cool to see that. Whereas somebody coming from like America, the powers that may be will have their decision. Yeah. So it's it's really cool and beautiful to see that in other places like yeah, Kiev or Tbilisi, that music and art and the the subculture actually has the power to like make make change. Yeah. Well, I also want to talk about Kiev because you have spent quite a bit of time there. How long have you been going there? I think it's about the same, like okay. since 2015 or 16. Okay. When I was preparing for the interview, I read that you actually have family from Ukraine. Is that right? Yeah, like my dad's family is from there originally. Okay. But like, you know, I'm, I'm just American. Well, but, <laughs> yeah, but we, but, we carry Yeah, uh, But, but our, I, yeah. I definitely feel like I have like uh, some ancestral roots there. And this place is important to me. And like, I met people that are very close in my life. So uh, this place I feel very connected with. There's so many great artists from there that I want to support, like Nastya Vogan or Gael or Kursvalut or Ready and LED. And there's such a strong music community. The combination between being politically motivated, culturally, societal, is like connected with the clubs there. Mm -hmm. And they do it in such a cool way. It's, you see like the power of music and art there reflected yeah. more. Yeah. You've been there, I think, more than anyone I know in the last couple of years. I mean, during wartime. So what has your experience been like? Yeah, the, the first time I went last summer, I went with Pablo. We played together. And of course, like the first time, I was quite nervous because was not sure what to expect. Of course, I have friends from there and I hear different things. And yeah, it was, yeah, of course, a little nervous at first. But then we went and it was super beautiful. Like the, the experience of playing there. I mean, I played there before in normal time and it was already super cool. But this, it was like really, like very emotional, very heavy. Like Pablo and I were looking at each other like, oh, wow, it's like really happening like this because to make the trip there, people are very thankful that, that you came and it's all to support uh, Ukraine then too. Yeah, it's just, it's very, very powerful and very, very heavy. It's like, it's it's because you see everybody's joy to see you, but then you see like the dark, the sadder side of it yeah. with, with like, I don't know, bombed out buildings or like, you know, really young people going to the front line and stuff. And it's, it's really, it's really heavy yeah. to hear stories and stuff. So there's two sides of it, but I think it's, it's interesting to have this experience. Yeah. I think everyone I've spoken to who's played there in the last couple of years has universally said it's like the most powerful experience they've had as an artist. Yeah. So have your collaborations with Ukrainian artists really been born from your visits there? Like they've emerged organically it from the Born from the, the visits there and also, sad way to say, but also from them coming here. Of course, 
They shouldn't right. have had to have come here really. Yeah. But I met a lot of people when they moved to Berlin. And then that's where a lot of collaborations began. Do you have plans to return in the near future? I know we discussed how you were planning to go soon and decided to postpone yeah, that trip. So. I, think, I think I will come like in the spring again, hopefully with Pablo too. Okay, that's fun. Well, I also want to talk about your solo productions, not just your stuff with Pablo, although I love your stuff with Pablo. Well, so you have a solo EP that's also coming out called Love is Destructive. It is destructive. Got that <laughs> <laughs> um, so can you tell me a little bit about that EP? Because that's going to be coming out soon. Yeah. So this EP is like the first one I wrote with this more techno-oriented mind that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Then I wanted to really say like, okay, I'm making a techno album. Don't try and let the my old influences in too much and mm-hmm. really try to keep a narrow focus. And it was it was not super easy because I kept struggling like with the the styles of it and really wanted to push myself to try really something new. Okay. And actually uh, a good influence of it was um, like uh, Silent Servant and I were doing these back-to-back like uh, last year. And he was also on the same kind of tip, like, hey, I want to, you know, go back to more to my techno roots. And, mm. and, and like, I did this and it's really cool, but I want to try something, you know, different. Like I did it, you know. And so we did these back-to-backs and we both were really complimenting each other with different tracks that were like kind of more like funky bass lines. But, you know, it's like almost has that EBM edge to it because it's still bass line based, but it's in a completely different way. And it's much more percussive and much dancier and like a bit classic, like classic techno sound sounding. Yeah. And actually, like after our one set, I just like I ran back to the hotel room and I wrote like the first song that's on the wow. EP. Oh, well, that's like the best I was just, like, I was like, I just want to write something that that will fit in our back to back, you know. And that kind of like inspired me to try like all different like new rhythms, just like new programming and everything. And I also used a lot of like break beats and like manipulating that. loops and stuff, but keeping more four four. And that really helped add this like extra propulsion to it because when you kind of remove this like heavy baseline and arpeggios and stuff, you need something else to add to keep the same energy level. Yeah. So I think it's like interesting to, yeah, to find different ways to add this energy. And I think the energy level from this industrial music is like already very quite high. And sometimes in techno, it's, it's not there, which is kind of also the point because it's supposed to be a bit more mental and like meditative. So when you add this energy level there, you're kind of creating something different and um, still with this kind of grunginess and everything. Yeah. Do you find it when you play gigs now that people are expecting something different from you then that you might want to play? This is actually, this has been quite like a funny thing I've noticed recently (laughs) is um, a lot of people are coming and expecting really to hear more EBM industrial set kind of like from, I don't know, from Boiler Rooms like a few years ago. And then they're coming and I'm playing really like on the nose, like techno set, you know, with some stuff mixed in between, like one or two songs, like every hour to like break it up and kind of like, you know, hint at everything to kind of create like a nice storyline. Cause still for me, if I'm just, just playing techno, I'm going to get bored. But yeah, then a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't expect you to play like that, but it was really cool. So I think like slowly, you know, it will like turn that this, this expectation and nobody was like mad about it, you know, so it's okay. (laughs) Nobody asked for their money back. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can identify because I've been going through like a a bit of a similar process. So, um, 
Is your approach in the studio different making techno? Are you using, because so a few years ago you made this tutorial where you popularized this Waldorf desktop synth that I feel like everyone went out and bought after oh, yeah. you made this video. Um, are you still using hardware? Or are you like using a totally different I'm production still, technique? I'm still using that Waldorf Okay. <laughs> Actually, this is like the, also one of the favorite synths from Jeff Mills. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I think he's... Yeah, it's like you see pictures and he has like two of them and two se sequencers. And that's how he's making all this loopy stuff. Okay. So it's not just an industrial. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think I changed it a bit because I've, I've started to focus a bit more on using the computer. Also because I'm traveling so much, I like I can't be in the studio that much. And if I just rely on the studio, I won't have enough time to work on stuff. So I got more into yeah using like these loops and, and, and samples, but really manipulating them because... I always kind of have this point that I don't want to use stuff just like right out of the box, whether it's like a preset or a sample or something. I really want to make it my own. And most of the sounds are sourced myself. So I've, I have a lot of my own samples from my synths and drum machines as well. Okay. But I think the trick was, yeah, to make like more techno stuff is to really make like, it's kind of hard to describe, but like really like tight loops and tight sequences. So whereas before maybe like a sequence or a loop would be like 16 steps, 32, it would be like really short, like eight, five, and going into like polyrhythmic. So it's like repeating like very quickly. And that's kind of what's creating this yeah. trippy mental element to it. And also creating like a, like this rush or propulsion instead of it becoming too like drifting or something. Yeah. And then, yeah, then like I said before, like using this kind of break beats and like a lot more focus on percussion. So I just... I got more into programming percussion rather than than focusing just on the bass line or some songs just completely taking it out, basically. And still using elements of vocals and stuff like that, but in a much more abstract like and repetitious way. So it kind of creates like this trance-like state. Yeah. We're using your vocals a lot more as well, I've noticed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just my, my voice. Okay. And then on the one song, I sampled something, but... I won't say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I know you also sample a lot of movies and like you make references to literature a lot. That's been like a through line in your work. Yeah. So a lot of times I, I like sampling like old movies and stuff, which is like very akin to I don't know, Skinny Puppy and Frontline Assembly. I think it's an, it kind of adds this extra layer. I think it like adds like the subversive element that's like kind of somehow uploading like the meaning of this movie into it, mm -hmm. even if. Most people won't recognize where it's coming from because it's so manipulated. You can't understand where it's coming from, but it adds it adds a certain feeling or vibe or energy from this movie into the into the song. I also think it's interesting to do this in DJ sets too, like playing some dialogue or something oh, over the set that? and stuff. And yeah, yeah, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, like really low underneath and stuff. So it's like I don't know. It's like when you spin the record backwards and it says six 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 or something. There's almost <laughs> like a there's this movie that I think Throbbing Gristles made about how um, they're trying to play industrial music and like fast food chains and stuff like that and try uh, to yeah. like subliminally oh like, that's a, it's the movie decoder yes yeah decoder. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah what are some of your favorite movies uh, off the top of my head i think well i think hellraiser is one of my favorite movies for sure okay um and i really like like horror movies in, in general like from dara argento and john mm. carpenter um I love the gore and the <laughs> and the tension and the thrills, but I really like that it's like always a commentary on society itself, especially yeah. these older horror movies. I mean, some are very camp, but some kind of have this underlying kind of play on society. And um, so I think those are usually my favorite. I also really like David Lynch because of the surrealism and this dreamlike state. And I, I like to tie that in with the music that mm. it's, you know, some more connection to the subconscious. Yeah. 
Cool. What else do you have on the horizon right now? I mean, uh, you have these two EPs with Soft Crash and your solo release, but what are your plans with the label and everything um, else? With the label this year, I'm pulling it back like one notch okay. because <laughs> last year was really crazy. It was a good learning process to learn how much work you can do. <laughs> this year, it's like um, also yeah, focusing mainly on Soft Crash and my own EP. And then we have another EP from Gaia from Kiev. It's like kind of like post-punky influence, techno and like experimental, but still dancey mm-hmm. and a bit dark. And it's really cool. So I think it's her first solo EP proper. Okay. And um, also Pablo's working on something that's also actually more in the techno direction. So he's kind of, kind of breaking with what he's doing. Okay. And I'm working on putting together kind of like a VA of like new people on the on the scene. And so seeing how that kind of fits in together. Okay. Yeah. Cool. What do you listen to when you're on the road? Or like, uh, do you have anything on rotation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think when I'm on the road, like I don't listen to electronic music like at all. So it's just, it's just guitar music because it's like, I don't know, it's like cleaning my ears yeah. or something. Because <laughs> otherwise it's just too much if like your whole life is just that. It's yeah. like, uh, it's too much. So I think... Mostly, especially because I'm on the plane all the time, I need to listen to like relaxing music. So it's usually like shoegaze and mm-hmm. post-punk and dream pop music. So I'm listening to Cocteau Twins and My Bloody Valentine and Bowery Electric and oh Lush and, you know, stuff yeah. like this because it, it calms me. Yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah. Do you ever think you'd go back to playing in bands? Yeah, I mean, I, I really thought about it and it's like, it's one idea that I have that I just need to realize when I have the time would be to make like a more guitar-based kind of project again because I use guitar like in some of the techno songs and stuff but it's more like making some noise and stuff like not like playing playing it Mm -hmm. I would really like to to do that again and I think it would be cool to have this this balance between this DJ life but also like playing concerts and and stuff and also what's really nice with concerts is that you're like you get to go to bed by like midnight or one (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's my dream to be in a band at some point playing at normal hours (laughs) Is there one thing in particular you're looking forward to that's on the horizon that's not related to music? Pablo and I are going on a, our Asia tour oh, nice. in February through March. And it's um, it's our first Asia tour together. And then it's ending in uh, Sri Lanka. So it's oh. actually, it should be really interesting to, to play there because I don't really hear of much... Uh, club stuff happening there and then we're spending a week there and it's my birthday so it's Aww. gonna be nice oh yeah, yeah you're also a pisces yeah. right yes. yeah me too <laughs> if we were to do this again in five years what would you want for yourself for your music mm. and beyond i think in five years i would like to have like achieved already did this ebm industrial thing did this italian thing with soft crash and i would like in five years to have like one more thing that I could put under my belt. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it would be, but something like this. And I would feel quite quite like at ease with that and kind of focus on a more calm, steady life. Yeah, <laughs> I understand that. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It was great chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into this RA Exchange with Faze Fatal. The track playing in the outro of this episode is Energy from Soft Crash's forthcoming EP on Byte Records. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please subscribe to the RA Exchange wherever you listen to podcasts and check out more from our archive on ra.co or on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. Until next time, take care.